We reject the ideology of globalism, and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. Not only will this tax plan pay for itself, but it will pay down debt. There are moral and legal obligation questions that I think we'll have to wrestle with as a society. When we as people go wobbly on the truth, we go wobbly on America. All you have to do is look at the numbers, look at what we've done. And this is only the beginning. Good morning, everyone. You're tuned in to Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM, WXIR in Rochester. My name's Jason Taylor, host of Evidence of Design, and we're joined in WXIR's studios by my good friend and co-host, Mary Lawrence. Good morning. It is Saturday, May 8th, 2021. Thank you for tuning in to your local independent grassroots radio station, on Evidence of Design, our show, we critique income and wealth inequality. We think there is way too much economic inequality in society, and it is the root, we believe, of so many of today's social problems. One of those in particular that we'll talk about today is our increased political polarization and susceptibility to disinformation and misinformation. We'll be talking on the first half of today's show about how to counter disinformation and misinformation, and we want to hear from you. Do you have people in your life who just simply believe what you see as outlandish things? Are you worried about what you see in the news or different stories around the people's belief in just really seemingly weird stuff or, or lack of belief in the facts? What do you think we should do about that? Are you concerned about social media and echo chambers? We, again, want to hear from you. You can participate in a number of ways throughout today's show. 585-219-8889 is one way. You can call in live. That's 585-219-8889. You can also go ahead and tune in to our Facebook or Twitter pages at Radio EOD. That's Radio EOD. You'll find us on Facebook and Twitter. Mary, are we able to live stream on Facebook at this point? Not at the moment. All right, so we're trying to live stream on Facebook. You can find us hopefully in a bit. We'll announce if we're able to do that at Radio EOD on Facebook. Otherwise, you can comment with us there. So for the bulk of today's show, we're talking about misinformation and disinformation. But in the second half of the hour, we'll be talking about the local offices that are up for election and who's running for those offices this coming primary day june 22nd so elections are a little more than a month away for many offices in the county including mayor city council rcsd board of education and all county legislators 
very important election because all elections are important. June 22nd is primary day. We'll want to stay tuned to hear who's running for office and when you can vote. You can find out that information at more at monroecounty.gov forward slash elections. Again, that's monroecounty.gov forward slash elections. Stay tuned with us here on Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR. We're going to take a short break, and when we come right back, we're jumping into misinformation and disinformation. What do we do about it? Hang on. Tuned in to Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. Let's jump into the main segment of today's show, talking about misinformation and disinformation information. This is a topic that we've covered several times on on this show and also our co-host Mary Lawrence has done a few workshops with WXIR on media literacy. So when we talk about media literacy what we're really talking about is this, our ability to understand, interpret and uh, create information. And so much of our of today's society is built on information. You know, we talk about the media. It's not just cave drawings anymore, but it's also, of course, radio, TV, and social media, newspapers, print. The list goes on and on. What's really, this is all very, very important because we are consuming more media than we ever have as human beings and as our society. Indeed, if you're listening right now, you are participating in a form of media. And so, those who produce media, we believe, on evidence of design at least, have a responsibility to have the media be constructed in an ethical and responsible way. And those who consume media also have a responsibility as well. For instance, if you are a consumer of information, you probably shouldn't share that information that you're consuming with someone unless you've vetted the information for yourself. For instance, how often have you ever read the headline of a news article and shared that with someone without ever having read the article yourself? I am guilty of that, and I have tried, I've worked very hard, especially over the past year or so, to never share something with someone unless I've actually read it. So, uh, and, and why is that's important is because if you are sharing something without having reading it, you are now complicit in the spread of something that perhaps shouldn't be shared or spread because it is an illegitimate or harmful uh, piece of information. That's just, that's just one example. So not only do producers of information have a responsibility to do it ethically and responsibly, but consumers of information have responsibilities as well. We mentioned reading uh, a full article before you share something and not just based on a, a headline. There's also something to be said about engaging in the uh, shots-fired discourse, so, so to speak, in social media. It's very, very hard to have constructive conversations on social media or even in so many places of our internet ecosystem right now. How often do you see these uh, folks online just taking shots at one another? Someone posts something, oh, Joe Biden does this or Trump does that, therefore they're bad. And someone else fires back, oh yeah, you think Joe Biden's bad? Well, well, you know, Trump did this, and then you just kind of go back and forth with this sort of nonsensical argument where you're 
you're just sort of trying to score points against one another. That isn't helping. It's a lot like if you're just in a grocery store and people are just, you know, you just start to argue with someone <laughs> over, over a can of soup or something. It, it, it doesn't helpful, right? You should probably use the same strategies you would use in real life as you would use online. Is that something you've done recently, Jason? Just started an argument over a can of soup? You know, I when I was driving here, Mary, for some reason on Union Street between Monroe Ave and, say, I don't know, East Ave, it is impossible going northbound on Union Street to take a left over 90% of the light's life cycle because there's a red arrow when I want to make a left on Union Street. I was going to get out and pick. I was going to call the mayor right there. I was looking up Lovely Warren's number because this is unacceptable because it is infringing on my freedom to make a left when I want to. And as an American, individual <laughs> rights, uh, it's everything, right? It's everything. So I'm, I'm be, unless you know me very well, I'm very dry and sarcastic. <laughs> so I'm being sarcastic. But, um, you know, it, I'm not much of a confrontational or argumentative person. I tend to lean towards the sides of, you know, give people space and just do your own thing. Uh, and so, no, I, I haven't really gotten many personal arguments with people. Uh, but I, I am guilty of engaging in those uh, shots fired online arguments that, that don't sort of lead to anywhere. And that, that's, that's really problematic because we're not engaging in any constructive discourse at all. And indeed, we're just breaking trusts and burning bridges. Right. And I think that's maybe what you're getting towards is that the media is also very complicit in creating this atmosphere for this sort of shots fired conversations the way that the me that I you know I hesitate to say the media as a whole, you know, as, as such a broad term, but a lot of media resources do use tactics for writing their headlines that are uh, extremely biased and make you think a certain way before you've even looked at the headline and are sort of facilitating this this atmosphere or this uh, as you call it the shots fired narrative. Yeah, you know, when we define the media, it can mean so many different things. Mary, there's two different levels I want to focus on here. One is traditional media. That's like going on to NewYorkTimes.com or FoxNews.com. The other is, uh, I would say, contemporary or futuristic media, and that is, that is social media. In terms, of, in terms of traditional media, New York Times, Fox News, you know, the, the critiques of media have been around as long as media has been around. And I... I I think that sort of more traditional media literacy skills are really helpful when it comes to uh, traditional forms of media. And when we talk about traditional media literacy skills, we're talking about like, when you read a headline, what does it make you think? You know, does it make you think or does it make you feel? If it makes you feel, you should be wary because it's probably trying to elicit an emotional reaction in you to get you all fired up and riled up and turn on your lizard brain as opposed to your prefrontal cortex brain that is able to analyze information in a more rational manner. But, but I like my lizard brain. You know, our lizard brains are really, really helpful to get us out of danger situations to create a flight or fight situation. But our lizard brains are really not good when we need to build a society where we all can live <laughs> together in mutual harmony and, and with opportunity and, and productivity. And, uh, you know, our, our, our lizard brains, very cute. Maybe they'll, they'll eventually evolve from Charmanders into Charizards. But until then, 
we should probably use our more of a rational prefrontal cortex brain when consuming news and information as opposed to our lizard brains. Right. Or at least be able to understand when our lizard brain is kicking in and how to kind of break that down. Right. And so talking about traditional media literacy strategies, does the headline force an emotional response out of you? Is there bias in their reporting? Are, are, are people, are, are, is the author using loaded language to, to sort of place blame or to make you take one side over another? Is the author using sources? You know, are they just sort of saying something or are they saying something that's bound up by facts, figures, or other reports? Has the author written other information or is this Joe Schmo who happened to have free time on his or her hand to, to, to write their opinion and put it out into the world? So, you know, that doesn't happen too much with traditional media, but all of those sorts of things happen with traditional media. I want to focus particularly, though, on social media, which is where our ecosystems are brand new to... Uh, you know, like our, our modern ecosystems are made up of these algorithms that mm -hmm. uh, determine which content gets the most viewership and which content gets rewarded. And oftentimes with social media, our lizard brains kick into play and we reward the content that is the most viral. The things that make our lizard brain the most happy gives it the strongest hit. And you see that with the shots fired type uh, conversations online where, oh, that was a really good zinger or what an awesome meme. And you reward that content. And right, so that gets pushed to the top. Yep, you react to it. You literally react to it. You participate. You give it the like. You give it the thumbs up. You share it to friends and family. And so you are now complicit in this system that was designed to uh, prey upon your weakened lizard-like instincts <laughs> and uh you know garner uh, garner that feedback loop to get you to react because it, it tickles your lizard brain fancy right and as we're going into this i'm wondering can i talk for a minute just about why someone would share mis or disinformation quickly well, there are, I would imagine there are many reasons, Mary. What are some of the reasons? Sure, yeah, and there, there are absolutely many reasons. And I know we're going to be focusing mainly on social media, so probably just ordinary people who want maybe to help others. But in general, there are sometimes financial advantages to people sharing misinformation. You know, this happened has happened in the past it, within elections. So people are usually after something when they're sharing mis or disinformation. It might be money. It might be support. You know, if it's a politician or a candidate or party, they're probably looking to get support or, you know, sort of push down their rival. Um, or they might just want to cause division or chaos. And some people just want to help others and they think that the information they're sharing is going to, to be helpful. Yeah, so there's two there's two common threads when we're talking about misinformation and you're tuned into evidence of design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. Misinformation is information that is shared without the intent to cause harm or malfeasance and you could end up being complicit in the spread of misinformation if you end up believing it say you trust the source but the author didn't do their research and so got facts and figures on we're guilty of that on this show before 
I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head, but I know even though we try to be careful with the information we share, we've never gotten it perfect. And sometimes we have shared facts or figures that are subtly wrong. I'm glad to think I've never caught anything that's like egregiously wrong, but sometimes, you know, we'll share something and then I'll uncover more research later and be like, oh, darn it. I was off. You know, we were, we were a little off there. And so we were then complicit in spreading misinformation. We did not intend to mislead anyone, but you know, that's, that's still not great. And as an institution, you know, we would, we would want people who tunes into our radio show to trust us to share with them accurate, up-to-date information. Disinformation, on the other hand, is information that's spread intentionally to mislead the reader or listener or consumer. Uh, So these are those places where people have a reason for sharing, whether it's financial or political gain or some social psychological reason. Uh, This is information that is meant to make the reader believe something that's not true. And this is the biggest red flag for our modern society with the spread of disinformation and the the media ecosystem that we have set up that rewards that spread. For instance, let's go way back to the start of 2016. Donald Trump was just elected president of the United States of America. He holds his inauguration. And the next day, The president says, and so does his press secretary at the time, Sean Spicer, that infamously it was the largest inaugural crowd in the history of presidential elections. First day of the Trump presidency. It's not true. You can look at photos. You can count heads. Picture Where's Waldo if you've seen that. Wow, there's a scene with a ton of people on it. Huh, there are more people in this photo than the other photo. That's odd. It looks like there are less people in Donald Trump's inauguration than there is in Obama's administration. Surprise. Why would the president say that? And why would the, sec- you know, the press secretary say that? They're spreading distant. I mean, so, so in the beginning of the Trump presidency, sort of the media and we as the citizens, citizenry in this country were caught in an, an odd place where it's like, wait, you know, those of us who, who didn't live off of um, the inhibition, the, 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 the rewards of our lizard brain would be like, that's weird. Why would someone say that this thing is true when clearly it's not true? And you could start by giving some the benefit of the doubt to say, well, maybe they're just basing it off the wrong, you know, information. Maybe they're, they're misinformed. Uh, maybe they have a different opinion about what largest means. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really being generous with uh, wh- why someone could be wrong and saying these things as fact. And I think that's how the Trump presidency started, with people just sort of giving a whole lot of graciousness to to something that mm, a rational person would say isn't true. The problem is that the modern Republican Party, by and large, and, and all of us caught in this soup, you know, Democrats too, in some regard, uh, are just flooded with disinformation constantly. And so much of that has been pushed through the right-wing media for decades. And it's gotten worse and worse. We're now the modern Republican Party in the latest polls. 70% of Republicans think that Joe Biden did not legitimately win the 2020 general election. 70% of Republicans. That's a lot of people believe in what is now called the big lie 
by former President Donald Trump that the last election was rigged against him, that there were false votes, and so on and so on to have him win the election. You can't, I don't think, be in a position, it's far too generous to say that that is simply misinformation, that the former president is misinformed about the facts. Uh, so you have to, I think, take the further step to say it's disinformation and that there is a nefarious attempt going on here, a nefarious attempt to change people's perceptions, to change people's opinions, to win them over, to get them to act in a certain way that would be beneficial to their cause. Such as voting for them. Such as voting for them or not voting for Democrats or not supporting whatever policies are put forth and supporting these policies over here, so on and so on. And that, I think, is not how we get to a place, too, where so many Americans think that coronavirus was manufactured in a Chinese lab as a weapon. It's how we get to a place where so many Americans believe that there are uh, there is a deep state with pedophiles and child sex trafficking. It's an entire system that has been built up by bad actors who shouldn't have the power that they do to spread that misinformation and disinformation. And it's why, in general, I am supportive. And this is this is this is counter to many of my liberal progressive leftist friends. It's why I'm in generally supportive of the former president Donald Trump's ban on social media. He has not shown himself to be responsible to use those platforms. And so although I too am worried about a private corporation's ability to silence speech, and there are many on the left who are citing examples, many lesser-known leftists who are citing examples of them getting so-called shadow banned. That's where they are banned without any apparent reason from social media companies like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. They are shadow banned by these companies for reasons they don't understand because apparently there are fears or accusations of censorship of the left. The right says the same thing, right? Even though this isn't true, I don't think, that the right all the time says... So social media is biased against them. That's the whole parlor thing. Uh, that's nonsense. How could you argue that social media is biased against you when pri- the primarily the reason Donald Trump was elected is because of social media? And that was his biggest tool to spread disinformation. So <laughs> that argument doesn't win me any, any uh, you know, thumbs up for them. It is pretty horrifying. And, you know, maybe one thing that would be interesting to touch on is why people all of a sudden, or it seems all of a sudden, are gravitating towards these ideas and conspiracy theories that seem to us, as like rational and educated human beings, seem to be so far-fetched, right? I don't remember, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that there have been conspiracy theories our entire lives, you know, and thinking about things like Area 51 or UFOs, talking about aliens. But as a child, those are the conspiracy theories that I remember hearing about that were more prevalent. And it was really not an extremely common thing or people kind of laughed about it. Whereas conspiracy theories today are really things that are affecting people's lives in a very, very direct way, such as 
vaccinations, you know, talking about whether or not it's safe to get a vaccine that is going to save you from a deadly disease or an election. Is our government reliable? And I'm sure there have always been people who've not believed that. I'm sure there there definitely have been people who were against vaccines our entire childhood. But you know, what are what do you think are some elements that sort of brought people into believing these outlandish theories? There there are several reasons why I think people are more susceptible today to misinformation and disinformation. The first reason is because our society has been increasingly economically unequal over the past half century. More and more Americans feel economically left behind while fewer and while a smaller group of Americans get increasingly greater political and economic power. Therefore, many Americans feel as if the system is rigged against them and that traditional notions of hard work, meritocracy, American dream, right? These theoretical frameworks that bring meaning to our life are becoming devoid of their truth. And therefore, people feel lost, stuck, lied to, betrayed. And they turn to other reasons to explain the fear and doubt and pain in their life. That is one reason, our increasing economic inequality, which causes polarization, lack of trust in institutions, and susceptibility to those selling so-called snake oil and demagoguery. The second reason I would say is the infrastructure of our modern media ecosystem. We've talked a little bit about this already, but when we think about social media, these are brand new forms of communication never before seen in human history for the X number of thousands of years we've been around, where you can instantaneously talk to someone else across the entire world whenever you'd want where you can see information that is posted by other people, and there are no longer the same gatekeepers to information. Traditionally, 40, 50 years ago, if you wanted to read the news, you would pick up your local paper, which have all but disappeared across the country, or tune into the sort of media giants, CBS, et cetera, et cetera, to find the news. You know, there were three nightly news stations that with, our, uh, with, with Baby Boomer Generation. Now there are nigh infinite amounts, you know, nigh uncountable amounts of sources of information. And we've all become sources of information. We've seen, seen this during the Black Lives Matter protests. People live streaming protests, right? People posting their thoughts and feelings on social media. And therefore, we have jammed up. We have increased the supply of information nodes out there and decreased perhaps the power of traditional gatekeeping nodes. To be fair, there is some good to this. There are critiques of media giants, traditional gatekeepers that are very relevant, such as traditional media gatekeepers not having adequate coverage of minority communities, particularly people of color. That, I think, is a fair critique. The problem is, is that as we've lessened the role of gatekeepers, whose job an institution is to at least ostensibly spread factual, legitimate information, 
we've increased the amount of sort of uh, you know we've clogged up the gears to have so much more information out there and now when your cousin posts something on facebook that says kamala harris is new biography is being given out to all migrant children on the border you're like that's weird and you'll either be skeptical or angry about that that would not appear in a traditional news source because it's not true and so the two main reasons i think married to the susceptibility for disinformation one is our institutions have failed many people and has lent them to be more questionable about institutions and led them to be more susceptible to those selling snake oil and demagoguery. The other reason is the change in our media ecosystem itself to change who are the gatekeepers and allow more people to participate, thus thereby clogging up the gears. Does that sound right to you? I think so. I think I'd like to add to that second point, too, that not only has have we changed the landscape of media but and maybe this is a little bit hopeful looking at the past but i like to think that at some point in history the goal of news media was to share news whereas at least in the united states at this point in our history for most large media mogul stations conglomerates the point is to make money. And so they are churning out article after article. I've recently seen articles that are not well proofread. The grammar is terrible, which suggests to me that they were simply, you know, written and published very fast in order to get something out there and that helps to, them to make a profit. It means probably that the journalists are overworked because there aren't enough of them. Uh, so I, I think adding that element of profit is necessary as well. And to be fair, in that example, Mary, of seeing less stellar coverage, you're, you're citing examples of local news sources, correct? Yes. Yes. Which are, however, owned by large media moguls. Right. And, and we cited this a little bit, but local media has been utterly decimated across the country over the past several decades, where, as you're saying, Mary, the increasingly corporate driven nature of news, which perhaps one could argue shouldn't be profit driven, it should be a public benefit. Regardless, our capitalist system, of course, its tentacles infiltrate into many aspects of our lives, including the news so-called market. And small news organizations have been either folded because they haven't been profitable or they've been bought out by larger media conglomerates that increasingly own you know, greater share. Gannett Media is one such example that has a, a, a local tie in history to us iHeart Media is an example that has infamously just <laughs> uh, really torn up local new uh, local radio stations, and it lessens the quality of journalism and information. And it lessens it, the quality, and it gives that company more control over the narrative mm -hmm. of what is happening. As you mentioned, there have historically and still are issues of minorities not getting ample coverage, minority communities not being able to see the news of their communities on, on the news very often. And that is a major issue. 
Whereas if there is local news, it's more feasible to have a little bit more control over what your local news covers. Yes, absolutely. And in our remaining time, as we talk about misinformation and disinformation on today's episode of Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester, we just want to remind you that you too can participate in this conversation by giving us a call at 585-219-8889 or by staying in touch with us on our social media handles, Radio EOD. Mary, that leads me to wonder, what can we do about these various systemic issues that we've raised that are beyond the ability of any one person to change? Something I've thought about a lot recently is my liberal arts and education backgrounds. The liberal arts gets a lot of uh, perhaps negative slack these days about being impractical and unuseful. Uh, By the way, that's thanks to the capitalist profitability logic that we would disagree with. However, when it comes to the the liberal arts background that I'm lucky enough to have, I have ingrained in me this thing in the back of my mind that is constantly questioning, how do I know what I know? And I'm very thankful to have that. I picture it as, you know, the little devil and little angel on one soldier, (laughs) on one's uh, shoulder. Not saying it's either a devil or an angel. I'm not sure which one it is yet because it can play (laughs) both roles as it needs to. Well, that's the way I kind of picture it is this little floating nymph in the back of my mind, always asking, well, how do you know that Jason? How do you know that? And that's because when you're in school, when you're writing an academic paper, you have to constantly cite your sources. If you don't, you, you write down a fact or a statement that's not sort of a general truth. Like the United States was, you know, uh, fourth, w- w- the United States celebrates 4th of July. <laughs> it's like, you don't need to cite that, right? We know that. If you cite anything else that says uh, 500,000 Americans have died of the coronavirus, you need to cite that because you need to say where that information comes from because you probably don't know that individually and people can have different ideas about how many people have died from COVID whereas people don't have different ideas about when 4th of July is. So if you don't cite information in a, say, academic paper, you turn it into your teacher, the teacher reads it. If they're a good teacher, they circle it in red ink and say, need to cite this information. Mm -hmm. Then you get your paper back and you have 18 things circled in red saying, cite, 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 where's your source? That's annoying. (laughs) It's annoying. But it's also really good because you, as a good scholar or academic or person who wants to engage in the spread of factual and helpful information with others in his or her society, you need to be able to ensure that you are connected to reliable sources of information and studying your sources does that to be sure it's not a, it's not a, um, you know, perfect system. For instance, you can read outlandish conspiracy theory written, uh, for this example, right wing media and have sources in there too, because there are bad actors in all fields. And so you can get people to cite scientists that say climate change isn't real, right? The less than 1% of scientists who say that. So just because you cite something doesn't mean it's true. Oh, great. There's a citation. Must be factual. No, of course, life is never that easy. But in general, citing sources, that little nymph in the back of your head that says, how do you know what you know, is incredibly important. And I'm happy to have that. It's a never-ending quest to be able to answer, how do you know what you know? It's never-ending. Because how does anyone really know anything 
Well, that's when we get into conversations about philosophy and epistemology that are perhaps beyond the scope of our time on the show, but it really gets to the notion of what does it mean to be a human being? I think those are worthwhile arguments and worthwhile time to engage in. Absolutely. But for now, my, my point in saying all this is to say, I feel very lucky to have this part of me that was taught to me through uh, extensive education to say, well, hold on a second, Jason, how do you know this? And so I go out of my way to find sources and to ensure that I at least feel somewhat confident in knowing what I know. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. Mary, does that make sense to you? It does. Yeah. I think having, you know, I had similar training and I do feel that that's something that's pretty lacking. Um, and it's, I, yeah, I think that we saw it with a lot of people who ended up and who still are supportive of the Trump presidency Often, not certainly not always, but often it tended to be people who didn't have a solid education growing up. You know, a lot of people who fell prey to these conspiracy theories were people who didn't have this kind of training. Um, and certainly, as I mentioned, there were people who do have this kind of training who still support Trump for maybe the same reasons, maybe other reasons, but not having this training, not having this ability to question uh, or just the immediate response of questioning everything you read or hear makes it very difficult to know where to go next. You know, you might hear something and say, oh, that sounds weird, but if you don't know how to look into it, what are you going to do next? And so this is going to continue to be a problem if our education system, and maybe that's not fair, if people within the system don't have the resources both within school and outside of school to be able to get this training. Yeah, education is certainly a helpful tool. I think there's two things to talk about here. One tool is education. Another is character, your individual character. To be fair, Mary, I know you're not suggesting this and neither am I, is that if you are uneducated, you are this. If you are educated, you are that. We're, of course, not saying that. For instance, Ted Cruz is a very well-educated man, at least on paper. He went to Ivy League school. Uh, Ted Cruz is a nincompoop, <laughs> to say it politely, in my opinion. And so just because, you know, you look at uh, the very many conservative senators out there, you know, most of them went to Ivy League schools. So they're supposed to be very well educated, at least on paper, but uh, I would argue they're, they're either <laughs> misinformed about their opinions on what's best for our society, or they lack character. And that's where the second piece comes in, uh, where you know when we're, when we're talking about both creating and sharing information, our, our character has to come into play, where it's not just our training in terms of how do you know what you know, but uh, are you being the change that you want to see in the world? And that could be, you know, you can do terrible things and say, yes, I am being the change I want to see in the world because I want to see terrible things happen. Or at least to me, I don't think they're terrible. <laughs> but, uh, you know, are you at least being a good faith person who is trying their best to, you know, help the most amount of people? Obviously, again, this gets into philosophy and now axiology and, and all of those things. But for our purposes, 
it's both training in terms of how do you know what you know and it's also character about are you are you being a good person do you want you know would your mom or dad be proud of you doing this would your kids be proud of you doing this so on and so forth and you, you got to combine those two things and hopefully that's how you get good leadership people who are intelligent and also people who are good people and that's something i think we we sorely sorely lack um in our society right now which is those in power are either sorely misinformed or they are simply have really sad character and the people consuming information that's where you're going mary i think a lot of voters out there you know they might not have the ability to have that super strong education but they might have good character or or you know lacking in one or another or whatnot so it can be a whole alchemical soup of things but yeah i was just going to add not only you know not only having the education and the training but also having the time and the attention span you know if we're looking to people in leadership positions these are people who have made politics their job and who should be the ones who are able to who were able to trust at least for the most part in knowing uh what's best for the people in the country in listening to their constituents and so when we see people in power who are abusing that power it's very hard to convince all of the voters when there aren't that many good alternatives yep and we, we need to have better leaders better responsible leaders right much more to be said on this topic of course i long story short i hope you as a listener if you're tuning in that you are thinking about how you consume spread or create media and information are you being responsible when doing it and wondering what barriers do you face in our information ecosystem and what changes do you think should happen much more to be talked about here we'll of course revisit it at a later time for now thank you for listening to evidence of design on 100.9 fm wxir in rochester for the remaining less than 10 minutes of our show i'd like to transition to focus on local elections that are coming up here in monroe county but also of course elsewhere around the country we'll focus just on monroe county particularly the city of rochester every year is an election year in some way or another this year there are several offices up with uh with seats that are either vacant or have incumbents who need to run for re-election those seats include i'm just going to read a list here state supreme court county court county sheriff all 29 county legislatures legislators the mayor of rochester five city council at large seats three members on the rcsd school board and all of the suburbs and townships different clerks councils superintendents and supervisors there as well let's take a quick transition though to a caller thank you for calling us 585-219-8889 this is evidence of design you're on the air what's on your mind hi i just wanted to uh it's jeff from webster and i just wanted to mention on the topic of misinformation and disinformation I don't know if you referred to it, but the New York Times had a recent article on that topic and how people wanting to have a sense of belonging is more important to them than the facts themselves during this era of such great polarization. And the article mentioned how a lot of people were believing 
after a New York Post article that the U.S. government was handing out uh, copies of a children's book by Vice President Kamala Harris at uh, border refugee camps, and also that supposedly President Biden was trying to drive down or force people to stop eating meat. Uh, neither of which things were true, but it was spreading rapidly in multiple media sources. And, of course, there's people that are going to believe that or cite it for years to come, even though there was no truth to either of those things. Just wanted to mention that New York Times article that was very informative on the same topic. Jeff, thanks for calling in. If there's two ways to make me mad as an American, one, it's to prevent me from turning a left on Union Street. Two, it's making me eat just one burger a month. By golly, <laughs> I am done with that. No, yeah, so I, I read that article too, Jeff. I, I, there's a lot there in terms of misinformation, disinformation, our, our contemporary media ecosystem where folks want to feel like they're part of a camp. Where folks want to, or where folks derive their sense of meaning from that. Maybe because Nietzsche, you know, God is dead, our religious communities are dying. Maybe because, as Robert Putnam wrote in the 2000 book, Collapse and Revival of the American Community, that we're doing less and less sort of social things together. Where are all the bowling leagues, right? Be, maybe because just there's something about our culture driven by, as I would argue, economic inequality that is leading to less of a contact between people. Maybe because we are such a segregated society, both class-based, we tend to live near people who have the same incomes as we do, and racially-based, where we tend to live near people who look like we do, thanks to redlining and other historical factors. Maybe we're also uh, having disinformation be accelerated in our COVID-19 life, where we literally can't be near people. You know, because we're 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 stuck indoors or, or or away from others. So there are so many factors there that might make us feel like our camp politically is super super important i think this has been an intentional effort by the right wing you know the republican party in my eyes doesn't stand for anything anymore and that's not my opinion they're not even trying to stand for anything what what is the republican platform nowadays it's simply a platform of grievance and culture war and so that is an intentional strategy by republicans to get people to feel like they're part of a camp versus another to bifurcate society in black and white lines, to draw a line in the sand and say, you're either on my side or the other side. That's a strategy that they're leading into and their rhetoric supports that and lack of policy, actual material policy supports that. So could kind of go on, but I, I agree with you, Jeff, that for many people, the susceptibility to misinformation, disinformation is about the sense of belonging and identity. For the remainder of our okay. show, though, I'd love to talk about our uh, elections that are coming up. There's a primary election on June 22nd. We were reading through some of the offices that are up. Let's focus on the mayor of Rochester, five at-large city council seats, and also three seats for the Rochester City School Board. Running for mayor is incumbent Lovely Warren going against Malik Evans. He's Currently, I don't know if he's still on it. Here's where I risk spreading misinformation. Uh, I don't know if he's still on city council. At least he was on city council for a while. He used to be on the school board. Uh, but So Lovely Warren, Democrat, is running against a challenge by Malik Evans, a Democrat, who's also endorsed by the Working Families Party. 
there are five at-large city council seats open and golly there are a lot of people running <laughs> you can find the full list at monroecounty.gov forward slash elections um i don't even think it's worth i was going to read the names but at this point with our time it's probably not even worth it to read all of the folks who are running for the city council at-large seats you'll want to look these up tons of folks get your research out now to figure out who seems as you know at least uh, I'm not telling you this. My formula is who has sort of the, the character and intelligence and knowledge how to govern, or sorry, who has the training and background knowledge and intelligence how to govern, and who has the character to be a good person. So, you know, uh, try to figure out which candidates support your needs and hopefully the needs of others too if that's part of your decision-making process. And there's also three folks running for the RCSD Board of Education. Sorry, there's only three folks running, or there are three seats open? Great point, Mary. Jason's spreading misinformation. Uh, there are three seats open, many folks running. Okay, and uh, can they also be found at the same location? You know, Mary, such a great character aspect you have, searching for a source. Yes, they can. Everything I'm telling you right now was found this morning at monroecounty.gov forward slash elections. Oh, that's I'm great. simply repeating their information. I'm acting as a steward. <laughs> I'm not being paid by them. <laughs> they're not a sponsor. I just like elections and think they're important. MonroeCounty.gov forward slash elections. You can subscribe now. It's $9.99 a month. Just kidding. We don't ask you to do that with our elections. They're free and fair, unless you're a Republican. But um. <laughs> So many positions are open, all 29 county legislators, uh, as I mentioned, and also many, many seats in the suburbs. When can we vote, Mary? Well, primary day is June 22nd, 2021. There are also many early voting days as well. We ain't Texas or Florida yet trying to restrict voting. Booyah, New York, go New York. We have several early voting dates they are saturday june 12th through sunday june 20th many early voting locations as well guess where you can find this huh, you guessed right mary monroecounty.gov forward slash elections all right that's what i was gonna guess so you can begin voting in the upcoming primary on saturday june 12th primary day is tuesday june 22nd why would you want to miss out on voting i don't get it you would be left out picture ideologies and camps you don't want to be left behind. You don't want to be the person who's not picked for kickball. I would get out there and go vote. That's what I would do. Speaking of being left behind, when do people have to be registered to vote Mary, in order a, to participate in this election? Such a good question that I didn't look up. But you know where you could find that answer? <laughs> Probably MonroeCounty.gov forward slash elections. So good. MonroeCounty.gov forward slash elections with that we got to end our show thanks so much for tuning in to evidence of design on 100.9 fm wxir i was your host jason taylor joined in wxir studios mary lawrence that's me you can always find our past episodes on youtube by searching for evidence of design we're also anywhere you get your podcast at evidence of design as well and you can watch 45 minutes of this show starting 15 minutes in on facebook i honestly have no idea why you'd want to do that i'm genuinely saying that but anyways <laughs> we'll be back next saturday till next time everyone be well be safe take care and bye-bye